Hello, and welcome to the Golden Jubilee episode of Future Chat from Unwind Media. I'm Rob Attrell, and today my co-host Mike Attrell and I are celebrating the 50th episode of Future Chat. We have made it our goal to bring you all the week's science and tech news for almost a full year. Nick Maddox, our celebrated senior contributor, is also here today. Nick hasn't been a part of Future Chat for all 50 episodes, but he's here now, and we're very happy about that. Now, Mike, I have a question for you. Did you ever think we would make it this far? I did. I didn't think did? we'd have an audience for the whole time, though. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm more impressed about that. Yeah, the fact that people still come in, tune in to listen every week is, uh, yeah. is definitely a good thing. Yeah. I actually agree. I had no doubt in my mind that we could make it to 50 episodes. I just didn't think anyone would listen. That's <laughs> true. Uh, Nick, you wanted to you wanted to give a special shout out at the beginning of the episode for uh, for a special someone who's not using oh, internet yeah. right now. Um, so our internet was bogged down, and <laughs> our our dearest Kaya has shut off Friend her of Wi Fi. Friend of the yeah. show, yeah. <laughs> Almost a mascot at this point. <laughs> yeah, never on camera, but always in our hearts. Kaya uh, just completely shut off her Wi-Fi to give me full use of our network's resources. And for that, That's we are wonderful. grateful. We are forever grateful. Very yeah. selfless. Oh, yeah. And uh, speaking of forever grateful... This is a complete coincidence and has nothing to do with our 50th episode, but we are officially um, being at least helped out by Audible.com today. So this episode is brought to you by Audible.com. From them, you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial by visiting audible.futurechat.me. And uh, they'd like me to tell you that they have over 150,000 titles. uh, Those are audiobooks to choose from for your iPhone, Android, or tablet device. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. It's very futuristic to have books just read to you. It is. And uh, I I haven't actually tried an audiobook yet because I actually do like the process of reading a book, uh, albeit on a tablet. I don't like actually reading a paper book. <laughs> but it does seem like a very futuristic thing to do, and I love podcasts. So I see myself transitioning naturally into audiobooks at some point. Well, with that uh, okay. voice, I mean... I, I know, right? Oh, you I don't mean listening. like making audiobooks. <laughs> Although that being said, I do have a project that I've been sort of toying with in my mind for the last couple of months, and uh, it would involve sort of reading. And uh, but uh, that's all I'm going to tease for now. <laughs> it's actually Rob's master's thesis, read called, by Rob, <laughs> or just read it. Rob's reading rainbow. Just like uh, stop and, it. Now we've come to figure one. <laughs> It looks a little bit like a cat. Imagine a cat's head. You know, there's a spike uh, for each ear and a little rounded bit in the middle. It's like a cat. Don't you th- all this just, just love reminds cats? me, Nick, uh, in my thesis, schema number one is actually a picture of your beard. Oh, yeah, that's thesis. right. <laughs> Which is in Library and Archives Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. The National Archive has a picture of your beard in it. And that just makes me so happy. (laughs) Forever grateful to you, Rob. I don't think anyone has ever noticed that. Nobody's ever pointed it out to me, but it's... uh, (laughs) Who would? That happened. (laughs) So someone... Who was this here that put this piece of follow-up about the the Wired article about the battery? I did. So uh, what's going on here? What's... 
Well, as as our uh, fellow viewers uh, may remember, last week we talked about the Tesla project to develop a battery for your house um, to kind of move toward going off the grid. And we talked about, you know, we threw out the idea of, well, I wonder how big it would be. And then I think, I know a couple of us said, well, you just have to calculate it. Um, So this guy, Rhett Elaine, who writes for Wired, um, he actually went through the process of calculating out a rough estimate. And uh, just based on lithium-ion energy density and the, you know, kind of rough ballpark estimate of power requirements of a house, he figured it would have to be about... I know. I think he said it would fit in a wall. Yeah, like we, yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. So, and it wasn't. It wasn't as big as I thought it would have to be. So, like, yeah. it it could be easily integrated into even just an existing infrastructure. It wouldn't have to be purpose built for it, except for the wiring part. That would be the yeah. only tricky. Well, like getting it into a wall would be difficult. I think he said it was two meters square, but and ten centimeters thick. Mm-hmm. So it'd be tough to get that into a like it would take removing the wall uh, or at least removing sure. something like, yeah. to get it in. A lot of battery banks I've seen just go in under the floor. Yeah, and that could also work. Yeah, yeah. you could put it in the floor too. And then you'd have heated floors <laughs> because that That's would true, undoubtedly get warm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I just thought it was interesting that you know to see that it's it's not impractical to integrate into your into your house. So yeah, yeah, neat. So uh, should we move on to the, I guess, Mike, the first story we have here is uh, to do with, um, I guess, what you'd call touchless, contactless payments. Yes. So before we, before we get into that, there's another story in follow-up. Well, I certainly wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> I still don't actually know what it is. Well, that's uh, that's kind of well, your fault, isn't it? Yeah. Well, here, let, let me start by saying, for, for those of you who are frequent Twitter users, you may have seen a hashtag uh, being passed around between users and kind of put out there. Some some include a little a little rabbit that is is uh, <laughs> holding up a sign and and picketing for it. Um, yes, it's, it's called the the Taylorette 1989 movement. Um, I don't want to call it a movement. I've been calling it a campaign. Sure. Movement okay. sounds, Campaigns sounds maybe like better. too much. Yeah. <laughs> We're not trying to change the world here. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, I'll I'll leave it at that. I'll let you. I'll let our fellow uh, listeners look up Taylorette, nineteen eighty nine. It's like a Taylor Bachelorette, Taylorette, nineteen eighty nine. And uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. And for for more information, you can head to uh, Rob's blog or yes. his unwind. I think is is on unwind media as well. No. No. Okay. So Rob's blog or robatchel.com. Com. Com. Uh, for more information. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Perfect. That, that's all we need to say on the matter. Yeah. And, uh, but do go check it out. Yeah. Especially Nick because. Nick should know, really. Yeah. Apparently you haven't been on the internet all week. Honestly, <laughs> Bachelorettes and I assume Taylor Swift are pretty low on the list of things I care to know about. <laughs> so... I'm still not sure I'm going to do it. If I I'm, do, if I do, the only reason is that it would be on your blog. Yeah. yeah. And I would be devastated if you didn't go look. Would you? So that's something. Would you actually? I would. That's. Yeah. I'm not sure I care that much. <laughs> oh, 
damn <laughs> i really thought that would work i've never known you to really adhere to these human feelings things that we have and i'm not sure i'm not sure i believe how genuine you are when you say you would be devastated i mean you have a fair point that was mostly humorous <laughs> Um, but that's only feelings about this particular thing that is not a living thing. Most living things I at least have some emotion towards. Ah. So, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> th- this this story about um, contactless payments. Yeah. So I think everyone's heard of Apple Pay at this point. Um, I don't think it's really widespread in Canada at this point. It's not. It's only available for U.S. credit cards, so you can use it in Canada if you have one of those. Okay, Um, but I don't know how many stores are set up to take Apple Pay. Uh, It terminal apparently works with any NFC. Does it? So if you can tap, yeah. Oh, are you sure? If you can tap, it will work. Okay. Um, then why is there such big deals about stores adopting it or accepting it? Because the states doesn't do any. They don't have contactless stuff. They still mostly oh, use swipe. Really? Yeah, chip and pin is new to them <laughs> in the States. Really? Yeah. I Interesting. have difficulty believing that. Gosh. Jeez. Well, I've been following the news since Apple Pay came out, and that is definitely a thing. <laughs> I, I believe you. It's just I would have thought they would have been on board with, like, technology. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So this is a story about Samsung, uh, our favorite Apple rival. They recently purchased loop pay uh, which is a company developing a apple pay rival and uh it again works with any nfc contactless payment system so it's readily uh, usable and in anything that accepts those types of payments and you just need a google wallet type uh account that can access some sort of online payment uh system or bank i guess um and i don't know it's it's good to see that Apple Pay isn't being left to be the sole provider of those types of services. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. I I know, like I said, in Canada, we don't have Apple Pay yet, at least for Canadian cards. So right. um, if this gets released in Canada first, then you might start seeing it uh, be more quickly adopted than Apple Pay would be if they came in afterward. So, Right. People have been saying for Apple Pay it's probably going to launch in March or April when the Apple watch comes out. So we'll see if that, apparently there's been talks about like they they have to make agreements with the banks and they're focusing first on getting the U S banks involved. Cause that's where most of the money that they would be transferring comes through. But they are working on at least, I think Commonwealth countries is sort of the second priority after the U S themselves. Hmm. That's upsetting because I feel like the process would be so much easier here because we have like the big five banks and then a bunch of small players. Like, yeah, if you could get the big five on board, honestly, if you could get one on board, the rest would follow suit just to compete. Yeah. And yeah. then, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you guys see a benefit? I know we've talked about it before, but have you guys see, do you guys see a benefit in having an online payment system such as Apple pay versus just your regular tap and pay payment system? Um, no, the big benefit I see is uh, the idea that if you're paying for things through your phone, you tend to check on your phone more than you check on your actual wallet. 
So people notice when their phone is gone before they notice they've lost their wallet. So it's just, you know, in terms of shutting accounts down and things like that, I think that's useful, financially speaking. So from that being your biggest, the biggest benefit in your mind, I can tell that you have not been following what Apple Pay actually, how it actually works. So every time you go to make a purchase, the the Apple service, the Apple Pay service will generate a random credit card number for that purchase alone. And so it basically stops the majority of credit card fraud in dead in its tracks because there's no physical card and the number, the credit card number that's used, once it's used for that purchase is, it, it's a unique number. So it's not ever you, going to be used again. Do you not have to like shut down your Apple Pay account if someone steals your phone? No, you would just disable that phone from using Apple Pay. Like it's connected to your iCloud account, so you just have to lock them so, out of. So you still have to disable it. Is the long and short still of what have I'm to hearing? Disable what? Sorry. You still have to. You still. You would go to findmyiPhone.com and say erase phone, but they wouldn't have access to your stuff. Yeah, so but you, you would. So you still have to shut down that account if you don't want not the, people spending your money. Not the banking money. account. Not the account. You would just have to. Sh- you'd have to erase the device. You wouldn't have to change your banking information and you wouldn't have to change your iCloud information. Tomato, tomato. You have to shut something down or erase something rather than shut down, I guess, is the issue here. I think we're debating semantics is the long and short. I, I think the trouble that you're thinking it would be to do that is like the biggest, the hardest thing about losing your phone is that you lost the phone. You wouldn't have, you don't have any worry about data getting stolen to worry about and you don't have to worry about um having to call your bank and change your number because all of that would is is encrypted like it's not a risk okay so so what i'm saying in broader terms is that you would know to take the action required faster than if you lost a physical wallet Right. No, I'm not saying that's I'm not saying that isn't a benefit. I'm just saying it's definitely not the biggest benefit. I feel like that's the biggest benefit as far as I know. <laughs> so, I don't I don't know. I don't buy into the whole it reduces credit card fraud. Cuz as far as you still need a credit card like account linked to your Apple Pay if that's how you're paying. Like you can yes, you probably load not... up with a balance and draw from there if you wanted to, but but people aren't going to be able to if you're you if you use the card at a store via Apple Pay, nobody the clerk nobody has any access to the card itself to yeah. to steal it. That's I not see. that that's not the majority of credit card fraud that happens though. Usually, what's the majority of credit card fraud? Just leaks of credit card information, like. But in this case, there would be no credit card information being transferred. They would transfer this unique number. Right. Yeah. It, it's been widely regarded as a huge step forward in terms of security. That's that's and, nice, Rob. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because you don't use iPhones. I would. I would. I think I would rather talk about poop than the mechanics of how Apple Pay works. And that now well, makes it a streak of yeah. three or four that we've talked about poop on the podcast. So, going back to Loop Pay, I don't. Yeah. Be, I don't believe they work on the same 
principle that Apple Pay does in that regard. Because from what I read, they, it's supposed to be linked to a wallet, and Apple Pay seems to function as its own wallet that issues its own numbers, whereas Loop Pay just provides access, like a link between the payment, um, like the contactless system and your wallet. So, right. so if you had a Google Wallet, it'd be the Google Wallet payment method that still is used, not the Loop Pay. The Loop Pay, I think, is just kind of the intermediary between the two from what I could read of it anyway. Um, right. So I think it Apple doesn't Pay, seem like it's as simple. What's that? It doesn't seem like it's as simple a solution as either Google wallet or Apple pay. Yeah. Well right now with Google wallet for phones that support the NFC payments, you can use that right now. Yeah. Um, but a lot of phones don't support it right now. Um, so yeah, having the loop pay to function as that, that device to, to be doing it, then that would be beneficial to have. Right. Um, Nick, I'm going to take your skepticism about this just as Apple don't, hate. Don't, don't mistake my, don't mistake my apathy <laughs> with skepticism. <laughs> No, you're you are coming off as very skeptical based on your reaction. No, I think I think NFC is great. Like, I don't really care who's implementing it. I just no, neither do I. So, what are we arguing about? the The benefits of having this the system that Apple Pay uses. Yeah, encryption is great. I'm not a, an opponent of <laughs> encryption. I think it's nifty and awesome. And I'm glad that they're employing it, but I'm more excited about the prospect of being able to pay for things with my phone than I am about the encryption methods behind it. it right, but if you'd ever gone through any sort of credit card fraud or identity theft, you would switch that immediately. I, I have. It was a relatively painless process because they called me and were like, hey, this seems suspicious. Is it you? And I was like, no. They're like, awesome. We're going to shut that down. Any questions? Is it no? And they're like, okay, we'll send you a new and then, card. Right, but you can't use that account. And somehow I managed. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> if, if, if life continuing is all that's important to you, like life going on as a thing. <laughs> that is like the most important thing, I think. Whatever, Nick. All if right. you're just like happy, like being alive and like in the world then fine fine live your <laughs> quote unquote life nick <laughs> anyway uh, all right uh, we're going to move on i i won't try to explain this to you nick but i will send you i will forward you articles about extolling the virtues of the system that apple is using and i will and make absolutely read them. certain that i will not read them you cannot read them but other people can that's fine. That's great. You should post it to Future Chat's Google Plus page. I will. And then everyone who wants to can both read about it and tell me why I should read about it. Perfect. Uh, the next story we have here is I was reading earlier this week that apparently one third of Netflix users in Canada um, are using a VPN and accessing American Netflix. I don't know exactly, like, I don't know the sort of breadth of whether it's a third of users that have ever done it or it's a third of users that are doing it right now. 
but that seems insane to me. I what do you guys? I you guys ever makes, used a VPN? No, but I think it makes complete sense. Like the people who are more likely to use Netflix are a younger, more tech savvy group of people, and they also would like to watch things that are not just on Canadian Netflix. I guess. So it makes complete sense that people would go through the technological hurdles to be able to do it, especially in that demographic. Yeah. I, frankly, I think a third is low. Yeah. Hmm. Let me let me also uh, qualify that with VPNs allow more than just U.S. content access. Yeah. Because there's also European and Latin American uh, mm-hmm. content that a lot of people who live in Canada want to access. Um, so... I wouldn't necessarily attribute it to just people who want the U.S. content, but there's a lot of international people that want to watch shows that they enjoy here that they wouldn't be able to if they didn't have the VPN. Um, but it's not it's not surprising to me that that a third. And again, you have to take that with the sample size that they're talking about. It's not a hundred percent population sample, but um, I think a third doesn't sound unreasonable. Right. And and Canadian so, content is getting better. Like when we yeah. when we first got Netflix about five years ago, it was horrible. And they've actually added quite a few new shows and movies that are actually worth watching. Is uh right. is Suits on Canadian Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. And it's then not on the US one. Then man, why bother using VPN when you have suits? What else would you watch <laughs> on Netflix? <laughs> well, there's there's shows like Orange is New Black. I don't know if that's on the Canadian about, one. Uh, I no, like Game of Thrones is the other thing I'd watch and yeah. that's on HBO, yeah. so Yeah. Yeah, and that there's HBO Go for that. And I think for that you'd probably also need a US for for ID? Game of Thrones you need actually you need to sign up for HBO. Right. There was But to rumors, sign up for that can you be Canadian? Yeah. Oh, okay. But there's rumors they are splitting it out. The CEO of HBO has actually come out and said he is more or less happy that people are sharing their HBO Go passwords because yeah. they're noticing a spike in subscriptions after people watch it. And yeah, I think, I don't know what I think, but that's just an interesting fact. And I think uh, <laughs> good things will happen. Yay, future. Mike, do you have something to add? <laughs> uh, no, I, w- I would agree that if Netflix... They, they want the VPN service because there's people that get Netflix to watch specific shows. And if those shows are only for U.S. citizens or residents, then they get more subscriptions from Canadians if they can actually access them a certain way. So this whole idea of the fight against VPNs from Netflix, I think, is completely fabricated because VPNs are good for Netflix. Who said that there was a fight? There, well, a while back we talked about how there's rumors of Netflix fighting against, um, like, oh, yeah. okay. like shutting down service that are using VPNs, um, and I and I think that's that. If anything, this to save face to show that they're not actually supporting VPNs, but they're, uh, I think they're they're in support of the VPN sticking around and and offering that service. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Um. There's there's all this talk about separate platforms for everything and I mean for instance if people want to watch just Game of Thrones they have to right now go subscribe to HBO through their cable provider if they don't have cable they're just they just can't do it 
Um, there's talk about splitting HBO Go off into its own sort of subscription service. Like you, you would get it as a part of HBO, but also just being able to get HBO Go. And so that it would, it would at least solve a, a slight headache. But mm. I think you're always going to sort of get this silo just based on based on copyright, based on licensing. All of this stuff is just working together to make the experience worse for consumers and more lucrative for the like these big conglomerate companies, companies like Disney that own massive properties like ABC and uh, and Marvel. And it's always going to be difficult and confusing and you're never going to be able to subscribe to one package that will get you everything you want to watch or or read or listen to or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe it's just going to take like Netflix to become a Titanic company and just everyone else to realize they can't compete with them because yes, people are willing to pay eight bucks a month for something, but not when you have to pay eight bucks a month for everything. Right. Did that make sense? Did that, it was did. that cogent? Oh, good. I think people would even pay like 20 bucks for everything if it was actually everything or 25 yeah, or yeah. I'd, or I'd, even 100 bucks a month for cable. Like that's a thing. I'd pay 20 bucks a month if Netflix came with sports subscription, like live sporting events. Yeah, streaming. right. Yeah. The It's easy for them to compete with with sort of a smaller breadth of content because cable costs – upwards like for basic cable it still costs what like 50 or 60 bucks and start adding packages it goes into the hundreds pretty quickly yeah so there's there's that a lot is, of competition and everyone's fighting to charge as little as possible per month that is trying to get shocking. as much stuff as they can yeah like man have you we talked about this before have you like watched cable lately when it's not prime time <laughs> even when it's prime time it is just <laughs> awful yep Speaking of, uh, did anyone watch the Two and a Half Men series finale? Oh, it's over. I was reading a lot about it last night. <laughs> Apparently, oh. it was it was funny in like a sort of making fun of itself kind of way, which I kind of enjoyed because I I used to watch it just for like because it was it was fun. I yeah. didn't take it like it didn't take itself too seriously. And apparently, that was just like came through in spades last on the in the last episode. Oh, good. Yeah, I. I'm happy it's over, but <laughs> I was shocked it lasted as long as it did after Charlie Sheen left. Yeah, on his just spectacular cocaine fueled <laughs> down spiral. Is it a down spiral? Yeah. He has his own show again. Yeah. Isn't he still doing stand up? I uh, I maybe. don't know. I'm sure he's hashtag winning though. That's true. <laughs> um, so we'll move on to this is I guess the second part of Internet Corner. Uh, and Mike, this might be of particular interest to you because we've talked before about how you have TELUS and you've heard that they've started, they're saying they're going to start charging for overages. Um, so there are people who are who are taking that notice of being charged for overages by TELUS and saying that that violates net neutrality simply because net neutrality as it stands as a basic concept is paying less for certain things going over the internet than others. And Apparently, TELUS's Optic TV system uses the internet to deliver television content, oh. and that is included in the service on an unlimited amount. And same with uh, Show Me on Ro- on the Rogers Network, and I think Shaw. Um, if I want to watch Show Me on my tablet connected to Wi-Fi, 
that's owned by Rogers, I have to pay for the bandwidth. But if I want to watch it, show me on my TV, it's included and it's unlimited. But it comes through the same network. So people are saying that that, in a sense, is net neutrality if they start charging for internet overages and you're using that service. So I want to, Mike, especially you get your thoughts because you're using TELUS and you've you've been sort of wondering what's going to happen with these overages, overage charges. Yeah, like, well, we used to have Optic TV. We don't we don't subscribe to it anymore but since we cut cable. Um, I can kind of see the argument. I think it's, it's similar to how, I can't remember what cable provider, is it Verizon or someone that, or is Verizon even a cable provider? I don't know. Um, but if someone in the States is offering unlimited music streaming. Yeah, it, I think it was T-Mobile. Oh, T-Mobile, yeah. Um, so it's a similar kind of thing where they differentiate between what you're using the internet for as far as what you're getting charged. And I think as far as net neutrality goes, I think it's a lot less far-reaching than what people like to think it is as far as the regulations it enforces. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was the one story we did a while ago where they uh, they decided that like throttling isn't against net neutrality because they're throttling across the board. It's not differentiating between one website over another or that kind right. of thing. Um, so I think this still falls under that idea of, well, they're, they're trying to just regulate the usage. It's not, they're not disallowing one site over another kind of thing, but I don't know. It's, I'd, I'd like to think that we're going to start seeing the end of caps. Yeah. Um, because yeah, caps are ridiculous and i don't think yeah from a company standpoint especially when they're saying unlimited tv which uses the exact same method of delivery but they're going to charge when it's Mm -hmm. wi-fi for like a tablet then that's i don't agree with that well i think the argument that they would use or the the argument that they might technically have is that um having a service where you control the content and you control how much bandwidth it actually uses to get the content to the customer. It, it makes it a very, it's a very controlled setting for a company like TELUS. So they can say unlimited because they know that you can only use, you can only watch so much TV. You can't, you can't watch multiple shows at the same time on your TV. Whereas if you were downloading the same content, you could go and download like you could you could fill up your entire bandwidth if you had 150 megabits you could down you could fill that entire bandwidth tr- downloading TV whereas if you're watching TV on a TV through like through their their built-in system in their cable box that is inherently limiting in how much internet you can actually use i feel like that's the argument that that they would try to make even though it sort of ignores the basic argument that people are having that it's not fair that that can be unlimited, but other things can. It, it's like saying, it's like saying you can send as many text messages as you want over the over the wireless network. Like it, it's it's such a small thing that it's barely a blip in how much data you could use. So it doesn't cost them anything to say it's unlimited. And uh, yeah, that's it's not a good argument, but it I think it's it's at least something that people can rationalize i was gonna add like it it doesn't sound like they're violating net neutrality in the truest sense of it but with that said i think that's just 
an incredibly aggravating situation where, oh, if I watch TV on my TV, it's fine. But if I use the exact same service using the exact same method of delivery on a device that isn't my television, I'm going to get charged excessively for it. Right. It just sounds yeah, yeah. like tell us, get it together. Come on. <laughs> it, it's kind of the same argument that you would get um, because you're not for, for a tablet using Wi-Fi, they're not getting a piece of that action. Whereas on your TV, you're renting you're in general, you're renting a cable box. If you like bell has a, their bell mobile TV thing on their on phones you get five or ten hours of mobile tv in that case they can give that to you for free because they're getting money every month from you same with the um the the tv thing they're they're renting you this cable box but they're not they're not renting you a tablet if they were renting you a tablet they'd probably be happy to throw in unlimited tv for it but uh, in this case they don't control that that hardware side of things oh so like wait i thought this when you get optic optic tv is that not coming with like telus's internet whatever that is not necessarily it comes through the cable box oh yeah how aggravating yeah (laughs) yeah so i think we'll leave that for now and we'll move on to nick your story here before we go on yeah i just i want to pose a question to telus and telecoms in general do you want customers under 35 years old? I'm just going <laughs> to let them think about that and they can contact us at their leisure. True. Good point. Uh, Nick, you have a story here about a, a smart gun. I sure do. This is not the kind of thing we normally cover because it's, you know, a little morbid, but like, we're usually like, yeah, guys, devices and tech, woo, the future's bright. But this is like <laughs> the, you know, shadier side of future and tech and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, Canada, Canada's DRDC, Defense Research and Development Canada, Canada, um, they've developed a gun that can, I guess, target people based on a camera or something like that. It can fire a wide variety of gauges of bullets, as well as being equipped with a grenade launcher. I was talking about this with someone last night, and they were like, how do you know, how does it know when to use the grenade launcher? I went, that's an interesting question. I bet there's some interesting code behind that one. (laughs) No kidding. But yeah, you can, from the sounds of it, you can just set it down on a tripod, and it's your guard. This uh, I didn't actually watch Breaking Bad, but I saw this scene. It sounds like Walter White's setup at the very end of the series. Um, so I'm just, I'm sorry, but please don't spoil this for me because I watched <laughs> the first two seasons. <laughs> but I was watching it uh, when I was doing like continental shifts, night shifts. Mm-hmm. So on my days off, I was just awake all night and had nothing to do. So I started watching Breaking Bad. But God, when you're tired and like not really thinking straight, that is a tough show to watch. Yeah. And so I may get to the end. So <laughs> I realize it's been over a long time. Yeah. But just it has. Please have the mercy. The spinoff has now started. 
Yeah. Yeah, it it sure has, but here I am. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember Perfect Dark. The That's what I was thinking N64. of. So they have a it's it's called like a laptop gun and you can you can throw it onto like a wall and if someone walks past it it just like shoots at them. Yeah. It, I d- it doesn't auto aim, I don't think. Actually, I think it does. But it uh it's kind of like that where you just kind of like set it up and it just shoots when someone walks by. Yeah. Hmm. That's about that's the sound of it. Like, yeah. And I mean this is I've paired this story with um the story that the United States is now exporting drones to its allies. So it has exported armed drones to the United Kingdom and unarmed drones to other partners. I think maybe Canada's gotten an unarmed drone. Hmm. But the future of warfare looks to be heavily unmanned if this trend is to be believed. And I would like to get your guys' thoughts on that. Mike, do you have any thoughts? I don't... I mean, drones... Drones are to me like you are to Apple Pay. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. (laughs) Rob's like, I think they're fine. Like, armed drones is the same as armed any other military stuff, and we've been doing that for a long time. That's not new. The fact that they're un... The fact that they're unmanned doesn't change anything from and how I feel about them. Yeah. I think it doesn't hurt to have unarmed devices doing our yeah. doing our bidding. I think it's if anything it's probably better because you're not putting people in the line of fire, but um like with while they're also coming becoming unmanned, they're also becoming more potent, I think. And uh, you know you're you're already seeing stuff about lasers getting developed that can be used in warfare to shoot down drones or sink ships and that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's getting very sci-fi in the the level of of infantry that we're kind of coming up with. So you know, like everyone kind of has their own nuke button that's kind of ready to be pushed anyway. So once those are pushed, then it's all yeah. kind of moot anyway. So <laughs> well, yeah, that's a fair point. But I mean, I also look at it like in World War One when they first developed tanks and were able to cross no man's land without people just being mowed down by machine gun fire. Like, no one thought that was an unfair advantage. Or, I don't know, maybe they did. I don't know. They, but, they definitely did. <laughs> well, like, all of a sudden, the countries that were relying heavily, heavy on calver- cavalry were just completely outgunned because tanks are a thing now but it, i don't know yeah it seems like roughly the same thing i think you got to be careful because machines can't necessarily identify non-combatants from combatants but not yet i think it's just one of those like yeah we've got great technology and have this technological advantage now and so that's a thing yeah yeah Any more to say on that, Nick? I, I don't well, know that, that I have anything entirely uncontroversial in this group. Anyway, I'm <laughs> sure we might have I, viewers that have things to say about it, but we would love. I would love to hear opinions. I just, I personally, like, I, I tend to stay very far removed from the the idea of warfare in general. So, 
I don't have a whole lot to add to it, to the conversation. That's fair. Although, I mean, a lot of neat technology comes out of warfare. It does. Like, yep. um, we learned a lot of it, or we've been learning about metallurgy in the classes I'm taking. And apparently that was heavily influenced by the the world wars. And I don't know, have you guys heard of the Liberty ships? No. I forget what uh, what war they were involved in, which is sad because there's two to choose from. <laughs> but like their understanding of metallurgy just wasn't where it is today. And so the temperatures that they experienced in cold water, where they were being built mm-hmm. for service in the North Atlantic, um, they just the metal became incredibly brittle at temperatures that low. Hmm. And they just had these ships go missing and they thought, you know, maybe U-boats got to them or something, or they were just attacked somehow that we couldn't figure it out. Right. Until, you know, a builder took a wrench and just threw it onto the deck of the ship and the whole ship cracked like a crack developed over the deck through the hull and like just, completely wow. detached that section of the ship and they went oh we should not build these anymore this is a terrible idea right huh yeah I'm, i don't know there's other like chemical methods that have come out of warfare well yeah the every day nuclear power came out of warfare yeah for the I'm, most part at least um going to the moon that's like everything. I mean, we have, I, I think we have like XRF and stuff like that because of semiconductors. Right. They were used in semiconductor research and that all came from, uh, you know, computer development. And a lot of that came from going to the moon. And that happened because we didn't want those dirty, filthy Ruskies to win the space race. Yeah. Not I don't that- think they're Ruskies at the time, though. Soviets. Well, they were. <laughs> Russia was one of the un, one of, or a member of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. We we might well have aware. talked about this. <laughs> we we might have. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, I guess we'll take a short break, and uh, I want to say more about Audible.com. So for you, the listeners of Future Chat, the fine fine listeners. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Audible is a great partner to have, and I'm excited to make my very first book recommendation, uh, The Martian by Andy Weir. So this is a really cool sci-fi story, and I find that it had a lot more detail and personality than a traditional science fiction book does. And uh, once I started this book, I actually finished it within 24 hours. It's really, really good, and you can get it for free with Audible. So to download your free audiobook today, you can go to audible.futurechat.me. Again, that's audible.futurechat.me to get your free audiobook. Cool. That was fun. Never done that before. A free audiobook <laughs> and a free 30-day trial. That's That's, a that's pretty great. Yeah. It's hard to beat. There there are a lot of places I'm starting to notice when I listen to a lot of podcasts, there are a lot of places that in what they omit um, you, like you don't really hear what they don't want you to hear in the ad, but like 
this doesn't seem like it has downsides. Like it's mm-hmm. free and you can just go get a free book. Yeah. I'm, no, I they... know I'm going to be signing up for it probably very soon. I've been, I've been hearing about it on all kinds of podcasts and it just makes sense. Just switching from podcasts to audiobooks is a very, very short jump. Yeah. Uh, it also helps that a lot of the people that I really sort of look up to in the community that I'm trying to enter of sort of publishing, like people like uh, Destin from Smart Every Day, Derek from Veritasium, CGP Gray, and uh, Brady Heron, they've all been supported in some part by Audible, so it just makes sense that uh, they obviously have a good service if all these people are endorsing them. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll get back to the show. Mike, you have a story here that I don't even know what this is about, but I found it really interesting. Do you know what I'm talking it's, about? Yeah, so it's it's kind of like for we're probably familiar with Yelp or TripAdvisor or uh, Urban Spoon, um, any of those types of sites. They offer user submitted reviews um, of whatever it is you're looking for. So TripAdvisor for a hotel or Yelp for your burger joint or whatever. So this is kind of like a Yelp for consumer products. Um, now they've I guess they've built up a database of millions of products already um but you essentially scan the barcode and based on the the review linked with that barcode it'll give data or information i guess on the company that makes it um so say you scan like a thing of deodorant and it'll say oh this is made by unilever uh they have a campaign for you know women being beautiful naturally but they also like support or they manufacture acts, which is really misogynistic. So it kind of mm-hmm. lets you get a picture of what the company stands for. And I think it's a good idea because a lot of people make their brand choices based on, you know, principles that the company has, or, you know, if they're support, like, you know, uh, fair trade or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's a good idea, but the, with the one issue I have with it, is there isn't any sort of mandatory, at least as far as I can tell, there's no mandatory uh, inclusion of citations or references for the claims being made on the review. Um, so it's, I think it leaves a lot of room for people to just kind of slander companies just based on half-truths or rumors or that kind of thing. So I know what you guys mm-hmm. think um, as far as the idea and, and if you think you might use it or see it being useful. Well, I want to jump in and say that I'm pretty sure if it's written down, it's libel, not slander. Slander is when you say it. Uh, okay, I stand corrected then. <laughs> you and your semantics. <laughs> yeah, Rob. Um, yeah, you got something to say, Rob? No, I don't. Are you going to slander someone, Rob? No, I'll write it down. <laughs> oh, um, so you're going to be libelous, are you? <laughs> that's fun. Um, I want to say I'm, I'm looking at the, the story now. Um, this, it seems like a really good idea. So uh, the app is called open label. Yeah. Um, and they, so they have a, a couple of sort of, um, excerpts of what you would see if you scanned certain items. And it seems like, um, <laughs> the, the, the companies, the corporations are just as likely to submit their own sort of yeah. reviews. I wasn't at sure least where if, that came from. Yeah. That's fine. If it, I, I like if it's transparent, I'm okay with it. If it says it's like, I mean, this, there's a, an example here of Chef Boyardee ravioli. 
And it says this brand is owned by ConAgra Foods, which has adopted new commitments to cut the destruction of rainforests and carbon-rich peatlands and social conflict from their supply chains. But then it says it's submitted by the Rainforest Action Network, which sounds like it's a conglomerate of companies that are <laughs> um, that are paying to sort of I'm not I'm not going to say just make the company look good, like but, a lobby group kind of. Yeah, they're yeah. they're saying, hey, this is our group, and we're we're paying to make things sound better than they are. Well, yeah. that's like I think it's Bounty that has the selecticize thing. And mm-hmm. they started advertising that they were advertise or they were supported by the Future Friendly Network or something, or Sustainable right. Futures, something along those lines. But then it turned out that that foundation was set up by the same company that owns Bounty, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> oh, that's that's great, guys. You just sell five. Was that what that was? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Also, like, uh, I, I'm really curious to know what it would say about Nestle. Yeah. Because, I mean, as many good things as I'm sure Nestle is doing, just the stuff, the bad stuff they pop up in the news for is just, ooh. Yeah. That yeah. is some, like, dictionary definition evil company kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I feel that it's it would just turn into a mouthpiece for the same people who post those types of articles on Facebook and then just get into arguments about how evil companies are. And if it's, you know, I don't know, like scan a vaccine and you're going to get a whole bunch of anti-vax comments. Like, I don't know. Like, is that, yeah, you know? Yeah, that could be. I think the concept's good to kind of have that kind of potential uh, openness about what companies do. But I don't know. For me, maybe I'm just realistic and just kind of assume that all companies are evil or at least self-seeking and I'm just better off not knowing what they're doing. Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably fair. (laughs) That is an interesting way to look at it. Do do you disagree? Uh, I don't know. It's complicated. Like, I get why they do some of the things that they do because, especially if you're publicly traded, you it's basically a legal requirement to maximize your profits and deliver value to the shareholders. And you can absolutely operate within the confines of legal behavior, but there's a lot of legal behavior that is just, just dickish. Yep. Like (laughs) I'm thinking specifically of Nestle's. Well, there's a big African campaign that was really Mm -hmm. bad that. Yep. I don't know all the details of. Um, but if it's the one I'm thinking of, is it the one with their their formula and breast milk? Yeah, and they like advertise that formula was better than breast milk. Yeah, but if you're using unsafe water to make the formula, it's not better than breast milk. But right, everyone bought it, and then all the nursing mothers went dry because they were using this, you know, now tainted formula, mm-hmm. and that was just all around bad or there's also like the other thing i'm thinking of is british columbia where nest i think it's nestle they're taking a bunch of the groundwater out and they're just completely draining the aquifers and going well not our problem you don't have regulations on this kind of thing it's like yeah they don't regulate it 
but maybe you don't have to be such a dick about it. Right. Yeah, it's really tough. So is is that going to prevent you from buying like a Kit Kat? Honestly, if I see a Nestle label, I look at it and I'm like, ah, do I really need to buy this? There, yeah. there are some, yeah, like a, that's about the long and short of it. I don't know that it stops me as much as it makes me feel bad about myself, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I don't, I don't know if you guys have seen those um, sort of the maps of which corporations are owned by bigger conglomerates. Yeah, yeah they're the like graphic type things. Yeah. What, three or four at the top? Jeez. Yeah. And it's just it, it's impossible to yeah. to avoid certain products or it's very like it would be very difficult and it would change your life. You'd have to like, <laughs> yeah, you have to try so hard to actually get uh, to actually find. Or like a product that wasn't owned by some some major corporation. Yeah. It just goes really deep. Like, I mean, remember when Burger King bought Tim Hortons recently? Yeah. And like everyone was like, oh, this crazy American company coming and taking over a Canadian one. It's like, actually, that wasn't really Burger King's decision. Like the puppet master was 3G Capital, which is based out of Brazil, which bought Burger King and then like bought Tim Hortons through Burger King so that Tim Hortons could use Burger King's distribution networks. And it's just, <laughs> it's like, you yeah. go, there's a couple of levels of abstraction, which is right. interesting and odd. And wow, the world is so neat guys. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm it's, with. I think it's great when people have like find value and self-fulfillment in making the efforts to kind of, either buy locally or you know support companies that are trying to do good in this world and that kind of thing but for me personally i don't i don't find that a conviction for me maybe again going back to my i'm not going to hold companies accountable to like be angels because they're companies and they need to make money so like i don't agree with kind of abusive or like you know, if they go out and like murder a bunch of children, then that's not good. But you know, it's like it's a bit of an extreme <laughs> example. <laughs> but that's the thing. But, but but people treat you know going and getting groundwater as that extent of evil, and it's like, well, not entirely. I mean, I I get that that's British Columbia's fault for not regulating groundwater usage when they're entirely dependent on groundwater. Like that is a stupid decision on their part. Yeah, but. Like, I mean, maybe look at the consequences of draining an aquifer and how many people that's going to affect before draining the aquifer. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm looking at the that corporate chart now. Uh, like, stuff like L'Oreal and Wonka, all the Wonka brand candies. Like, apparently Ralph Lauren is... Stuff like Diesel, Ralph Lauren, Yves Saint Laurent, they're all Nestle. It just seems so crazy to me. Like, <laughs> you have wow. to pay so much attention and I'm, go all the way up corporate ladders to... I was going to say, like, good thing I don't care about fashion labels, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I started noticing, um, like, I used to... I well, I, buy, I love crackers. Like, crackers are amazing to me. They're oh, God, some are of my they favorite ever? foods. 
with with a little cheese oh yeah that is living it is and so like i uh, buy stuff like triscuits like nabisco crackers ritz crackers all that stuff even like cookies like oreo or fudgeo or all of these brands and i started noticing in the last couple of years going to the shot to the to the grocery store that they all had this little mondelay logo and so Mondelez is another one of those companies that now also owns Kraft and Cadbury and mm. it, like there's so many like they I'll put I'm going to put a link to this picture cuz I just think it's so fun and every time I see it to go in and see like oh man they own so many different things but like all these food beauty fashion products uh hygiene they're all owned by like 10 companies. Mm. Yeah. And the whole world is going like that. Mhm. Crazy. Anyways, I, are we good on advertising and all of this yeah. crazy I stuff? I think we could talk for hours about it, but we have to cut it off somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so the next story here is one that I found about um, implications for exploring Mars, which I just thought was – it was cool because one of the things that interests us about exploring space is trying to find life or at least evidence of life on other planets and – in, in general, that means complex organic molecules. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at, uh, at a story about how scientists have identified a mineral that exists on the Martian surface that when, react, when, when uh, it's exposed to heat, which is the way they test for organic molecules, they discovered that it, it generates an, a separate mineral that will actually destroy organic compounds. Uh, this mineral is called jarosite, and when it gets heated in the way that they do this research, it it turns into uh, hydrogen sulfide, which just completely demolishes organic compounds. And they've known for a while that there are compounds like this uh, that they sort of try to keep away from any organic research. Things like perchlorates will generate a bunch of oxygen and uh, chlorine gas. Um, but so now they've actually discovered this mineral on the Martian surface and sort of put it piecing things together it seems like this could be one of the reasons we've never found any complex organic molecules on either the moon or mars or any of these things even if there is life it's possible or or evidence of past life that it's possible that it's just because of this uh, well minerals like this or this mineral specifically on mars uh, so i wanted to get your guys thoughts because this story in itself is is fine it's very interesting but it sort of puts things in context of uh, because we're not there, it's a very uncontrolled environment and we can't really tell what's going on. Um, yeah. So I wanted to get your thoughts. So, I mean, granted, I'm sure things like your Jarosite, Yarosite, whatever, I'm sure it could play a role in the breakdown of complex organic molecules. But I mean, also appreciate that, complex organic molecules are more complicated than more base constituents and would you say they're more complex yeah Uh yeah i I might say that (laughs) but like i don't know like i i just assume those things are going to break down over time because they're not necessarily as stable as you know decomposition products especially in the harsh environments of space or, you know, things that aren't Earth. It just seems like 
like, yeah, this could play a role, but I think it's going to be not a primary driver. So the the thing about this that sort of separated it from me for from a normal sort of space story that you'd hear about space. is that is that the the amounts we're looking for of these organic compounds would be trace anyways we're not finding we're not seeing like a skeleton and we would go and check to make sure that like to see when it was dead or anything but man, we're finding be trace cool. yeah it would be it would be cool but i don't think that's going to happen uh anytime soon it like we're not going to go up to something and be like oh is that is that life like we're not going to see a chunk of something mm-hmm. we're looking for very small traces so it's very possible that with the signals we're looking for that all it would take is this puff of um of whatever mineral happens to be in the soil to completely destroy the sample. And so it's, it, to me, it seems very plausible having worked in the, in a chemistry lab where experiments got done. It's, it's hard enough in a very controlled lab environment to keep your products uh, uncontaminated. And this is just a whole, literally a whole other world. Uh, I can see it being very easy to just destroy your sample inadvertently, not realizing that it was even that that it was even there because of this mineral that just immediately breaks down compounds into things like carbon dioxide and sulfuric acid or um, hydrogen sulfide, which you would see there anyways. So it's not like it's not like you're not going to find CO two when you're when you're heating up a sample of Martian soil because there's CO two in the soil. Hmm. It seems very plausible that. I'm, I'm not trying to say that we will see life now because we've salt, we've done this and we can now keep that mineral out, but it seems a lot more possible to have to sort of start over with new methods to try to figure this out. Uh, you can go back to an analogy back in the sixties and seventies and eighties. When I was growing up, I read space books all the time. Like I was, I, I've always loved astronomy. I still do space, but the, <laughs> exactly the <laughs> paradigm growing up was that there were no plant like planets were not a thing that they, they were unique to us unique to our solar system there were not that we had no evidence of planets anywhere else in the universe people had thought about it and then we started sort of discovering a planet here and there and systems had these big planets and the pace has just picked up extraordinarily to the point that we're now discovering new planets every day and it's actually like it's almost scientific fact now taken for scientific fact that Every sun has planets around it. Like it's just a matter of how many and what size they are and where they are. Is that accurate to say that back in the sixties to eighties, there wasn't an idea of there being solar systems with other planets? That sounds. That doesn't sound in, right. In all the books I read, it was sort of, it, it, the science books that I the, the space books that I still have at, at home. It was <laughs> how many times are you going to do that? It was. It was sort of almost agreed upon that like – because we could see stars, but we couldn't see any evidence of planets because we didn't have the right way to look for them. In space. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you sure of that? Like they didn't, they didn't look at the – like the – they weren't observing the stars and seeing the traverse of the – They weren't seeing either the wobble – like they, they look at yeah. the wobble of the, the – the sun or they look at the amount of light decreasing as it transits. Yeah. I'm sure there were people who said, yeah, of course there were, um, of course there are planets around stars everywhere. Like why wouldn't there be? It makes no sense. 
But at the same time, you can look at this as sort of pre-argument because at this point in terms of life on other planets or in other solar systems, people say, yes, of course, statistically speaking, of course there's life elsewhere in the universe. But there are other people that are just as convinced that, of course, we're alone in the universe. There's no another life. How- and it's hard to give evidence for either one other than statistics. But we're such a small sample that statistics – it's equally possible that we are alone in the universe as that there's other life in the universe based on what we know. I, I don't know what we saying. don't it's know equally, anything. I don't think it's equally how, possible. Uh, how old were you when you were reading these books, Rob? We don't know we don't know what sparks life yet. We don't know what causes complex life to form. It's possible that it doesn't exist anywhere. It depends what forms life, what forms that spark. Yeah, but like how how old were you when you were reading these books? Like what level of scientific you know, theory uh, was this like written to? Because I mean, high school, I could certainly, okay, through high school. Cause I could certainly say like, if you're general, or I could see if a uh, scientist is generalizing saying, you know, there's no evidence to, to support that there's any life elsewhere in the universe, but that's an entirely different discussion than saying like discussing the probability or the certainty with which we can predict it. But saying like, cause certainly there is no evidence that we know of to suggest that life exists elsewhere in the universe. Right. Other than perhaps you can get really specific and like say, you know, we've discovered these organisms with uh, DNA that is heavily resistant to radiation consistent with cosmic rays. Mm-hmm. Like you could say yep. that might be borderline quote unquote evidence, but I mean, you might, it might've just been the sources you were reading and the, degree to yeah. which they were going into it oh, of course but it, it does sort of strike me that it's somewhat analogous to the to the life on other planets or life in other solar systems life in other galaxies thing in that we really don't know and for me personally i'm on the side of of course there's life elsewhere in the universe we just haven't found it yet the the odds of it of us being the only civilization that has developed on any planet and that even the fact that whatever number billion years ago that life first formed. It's crazy to me that we're the only one that that seems like a mere, like a near impossibility that that's the case. But at the same time, there's no evidence of it. So we don't know. We don't know enough. We don't know what starts life going. We have some ideas, but we don't know. Well, I mean, how far can we even theoretically see into the universe? Oh, exactly. And that's, and that's what I mean. The universe is so incredibly huge that we can't, physically picture it but at the same time people theorize that given the speed of light and given our civilization if we can colonize uh other planets they say within a million years we can completely take over our galaxy we can visit every star in our galaxy within a million years if we are starting now and it would be easy within even with the current space uh even with current speeds of technology it would just take figuring out how to like how to adapt humans to weightlessness, for instance. Like we lose a lot of bone density when we're in weightless environments really quickly and well, our health degrades in other ways. But if we can solve that, we can colonize a galaxy in a million years. Well, if we're talking million year timescales, like you could reasonably say, yes, we're going to start doing this and I'm sure we can count on evolution to help. Yeah. Oh, if, uh, absolutely. I, I completely agree with I'm you. I'm sure you could evolve to live in space and then subsequently evolved to live on another planet yep yeah 
with those timescales in mind. Well, a, a million years is such a long time for a human to perceive, but it's such a blink in the life of the universe. Yeah. It's crazy. The, the hugeness and tininess of timescales. I mean, we, we're not going to go into that because it'll blow my mind and I'll have to clean up and I don't want to do that. Space. Uh, Mike, is there anything you want to add before we go on to the next thing? Oh, I think About it's space. I guess going going back to your original point about kind of going back to the drawing board, yeah. I think that's just yeah part of the learning process of yeah. of science, and you know we'll figure it out. And I will continue to love astronomy. Yeah. Um, and on that note, before we go on, um, if you haven't started yet, go and watch the crash crash course uh, series on astronomy done by Phil Plate of Bad Astronomy fame. He now writes for Slate magazine. Um, it's a really good series, and um, the last episode they did this week was on telescopes, and it's really cool. I learned some stuff that – I know quite a bit about telescopes, but there's still some stuff that is left to learn, and Crash Course is a great series. So just for clarity, Rob, um, mm-hmm. I distinctly remember Carolyn and I taking an astronomy class, and now you <laughs> claim to love astronomy. I do love astronomy. But I remember I did not like that class. A someone who dropped the only astronomy course he ever took. Well, do you remember why I dropped that course? It was the most boring I, course. I, I've I was going to say I don't remember, but I can reasonably guess why having taken that course. It was not it was not fun for me. If if we took a course, an astronomy course like in the Harry Potter series where you're actually up in a tower looking through telescopes at night, I would absolutely take an astronomy course. But I didn't want to sit there and learn. I'm pretty dry sure things. Harry Potter would take astrology, not astronomy. No, they took an astronomy class. What? They also had capes and wands. That's true. That would also be pretty badass. <laughs> Thank you for like, pointing that out, Mike. <laughs> Thank you for helping you- my case. <laughs> Why would you use a telescope if you have magic? Good question. See, I feel like you could create atmospheric lensing by, yeah, you know, yeah, the magic. They could have done that. Um, yeah, the magic in Harry Potter, like, obviously, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, actually. Um, we can speculate <laughs> complete should- different places about how magic works in various universes. That's, Although- that's, a, that's a discussion for future book club. Maybe that is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, um, rather than delving into Harry Potter, let's. Move. The next story I have here is uh, just it, it, briefly. I wanted to say this is something that I read about uh, the the site, the tech, and I guess science now as well site Ars Technica um, has joined up with uh, Nature, the, the the journal Nature, so that. If Ars Technica covers a story about a certain uh, journal article, um, you will be able to access that journal article, that paper, for free via Ars Technica. So if you go and read a story about some sort of scientific endeavor um, and you want to know more about it, you can literally go and rather than paying the $50, $70, fee that you have to normally pay to to get academic papers, uh, unless you're affiliated with university or something, you'll be able to read that paper free of charge, which I just think is awesome. And uh, so I just wanted to briefly mention that though it's not really open access, it's at least a step towards 
having people be able like everyday people be having better access to scientific literature. Yeah. And that's always a step in the right direction. I yeah. mean, it's no journal science, but it's a start. Aren't science and nature now owned by the same conglomerate? <laughs> I think so. I, so I it might we, be. That, I thought we agreed to leave that topic behind. It, it, well, this is a totally <laughs> separate related topic. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, mm. Nature's a fairly well high regarded journal, isn't it? Yeah, it's nature is. Yeah, it no science. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> It, it's no like the journal science right there's apparently a journal of nature versus journal of science rivalry and i've absolutely decided what side i'm on fair enough do we are we privy to that information i think based on my previous comments you are <laughs> all right fair enough uh mike you have a story here Another thing that is competing with another thing. Uh, well, we've all seen Google Glass kind of come and go, and right now it's gone, but it will come back eventually, I guess. Um, hopefully. What's that? Is it hopefully? Hopefully it'll come back. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but in the meantime, you can pre-order the Sony augmented reality glasses for almost half the price of what Google Glass was charging for their Explorer Edition. Um, this is a similar uh, kind of Explorer developer edition of the the Sony Smart Glasses. Um, and it operates on a slightly different kind of projection principle um, where it doesn't project a image into a part of your eye, but it, I, I'm not sure if it projects or if it just puts on the lens a uh, similar to like a hollow lens it kind of puts it into the world that you're looking at um, so you look at someone's face and next to their face will show up their name and age if you have like their contact info and whatever hmm. um, with facial recognition technology and that kind of stuff so there's a demo video posted um, on YouTube kind of uh, showing what it might look like if you're using them the glasses themselves are quite ugly um, <laughs> they look kind of like sunglasses when when but. people put them on if you watch the demo video it's like wow those are hideous but hopefully it's at least a proof of concept and you can improve upon the look of them as uh as they go but i, I like the price of 840 dollars a bit better than the 1500 that that google glass was charging for their explorer edition um now what as far as what you guys think like we've seen Google Glass and HoloLens now, and now the Sony Smart Glass, which I guess has been announced for a little bit of time now, but this is the first time I've really heard about them. Um, do you guys see that as being something more widely adopted? I think it's a step in the right direction in terms of you know product development, and I, I don't know. It's just Sony's in the consumer electronics market. It makes sense that they would try and get in on that. Um, maybe, maybe just hear me out. There was a story this week that, uh, Sony has released a SD card for premium sound, which is whenever you see something released for premium sound that has to do with like cables or electrical connections, probably not worth your time. 
and right. maybe because they're they're selling them for like what quintuple what you could get equivalent storage for something like that yeah mm-hmm. maybe they're taking the profits from their premium sound sd cards <laughs> with which they are <laughs> laughing all the way to the bank and subsidizing their google glass competitor yeah well we, we talked about the sony walkman that they developed as well right that was yeah that's true yeah. thousands of dollars um so i think between that and the sd card they're yeah, they're probably set to fund a couple other projects for sure. Yeah, there uh, there was a story here on a related note that uh, that I read this week. That I don't know if you guys have heard about Neil Young's Kickstarter project, the Pono music player. I have not. Uh, that was going to play so. lossless audio. Yeah, uh, they put it through a test. They, a couple of uh, journalistic um, enterprises put it through its paces in compared to an iPhone with the same pair of headphones. And uh, apparently <laughs> it was something like a pretty large majority of people either couldn't tell them apart or actually picked the iPhone as having better quality sound <laughs> in a blind test, which I just thought was hilarious. And that was using just regular headphones or like... Using pr- some fairly... I think they're the Parrot Zeke headphones or Zik. Just premium headphones though? Yeah. Okay. Which, mm. uh, yeah, it just sort of is hilarious to me. It's not unexpected to me. Right. I'd, I'd entirely anticipate yeah. that. They are result. they are firing hard into the more money than sense market. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to see someone else step into the augmented reality game. Um, so between Microsoft, Google, and now Sony, we'll, we'll hopefully start seeing. I guess Apple hasn't thrown their hat in the ring in that realm yet. No. With augmented oh. reality, but... Speaking of... We were, did we talk about Microsoft stores last week? Is that a, uh, a couple uh, we weeks have. ago? Yeah. yeah, a couple weeks. Totally saw one in Chinook, I think. What? What? No, oh, man. I don't I'm so think jealous. so. <laughs> I it was right across from, or it was around this coffee shop that was absolutely stellar, called like Phil and Sebastian or something like that. Yeah, Mike, we we need to go because uh, there's one of those downtown. Phil and Sebastian. In the, I, they're gonna put one in the Simmons building, right <gasps> on the river there. Okay, okay. Just briefly on espresso, you know you've hit like <laughs> on a great spot for espresso when they give you not only the espresso but a glass of water to go with it. Oh, that's when they truly understand how espresso works. Hmm. In my opinion. Interesting. Okay. Um. So <laughs> I googled Microsoft Store, uh, Calgary. And apparently, August fourteenth is when the Microsoft Store opened. <laughs> what in Chinook? <laughs> yeah, Chinook. Why haven't I ever seen that? I don't know. I, it's it's there. I just like my. I looked around and I went, "Oh, hey, look, a Microsoft Store." And just now, when we were talking about the how, about Hololens, I went, "Wait a minute, huh?" Yeah, yeah, that's weird. So uh, we could we could take a future chat field trip and uh, check that out. We should. I'll I be can't a, believe you haven't already. I'll be a correspondent for the day, and uh, I. Well, the, yeah, I mean, Mike and I, we Rob, you made your choice. <laughs> I know, I did, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'm glad you're happy. How's the snow? Yeah. Uh, snowy. It's still snowing right now. Mm. We we got snow yesterday too. 
Or yeah, like pretty heavily, actually. Two centimeters, maybe. Oh, we got I a bunch the, over here. I saw the uh, the leaf blowers and giant mechanized brushes that you just to clear right. your snow here, <laughs> because the snow is all fluffy and magical rather than dense and heavy. <laughs> Makes sense. It's okay. We'll have a Chinook in a week or two. It'll we'll get That's rid of true. this. Ride my bikeity bike. All right, Mike, uh, we have another story here from you about uh, turbine generators. Which, frankly, should oh. have been in follow-up. Should it, though? Was it? Didn't we talk about this? I don't think so. No. I thought we, we talked, talked about, about like just putting a turbine on sewage like a week <laughs> or two ago. Well, this isn't sewage, and I don't remember that conversation. So. I don't remember that. I remember the conversation, but I don't remember that being part of it. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. I... Saw turbine generators and just assumed it would be like wastewater or something like that. It's it's source water, actually. So, yeah. So there are those giant, like, I don't know, I guess, couple foot diameter pipelines that go from water sources to the municipal facilities to do what it does to the water before it goes into the system. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, when I first read about this, like, I read the headline about the turbines and pipelines. I was like... Well, they're already applying pressure to get it out. I don't know why they just use extra energy to generate energy. Um, But then I was reading that there's actually the source pipelines that are gravity-fed. So they're just basically taking the extra uh, hydraulic head pressure that they get and applying that to generate electricity. Um, Hmm. And I guess it's... I don't have the exact numbers offhand, but I think it's only like a 5 PSI drop to generate, to power one of these turbines, um, which I guess isn't bad, depending on how much extra pressure you have anyway. Um, But I guess it's good to see that, you know, if you have extra energy, then you may as well harness it. Um, So yeah, I I don't know. If you can, and the energy return on energy investment is greater than one, you might as well. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that this is literally no investment because it's all gravity fed. So it's not like you have to really well, put no, anything you have to, the investment you have in the to technology. install the turbine yeah. and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Like that okay, is a fair. cost. Yeah. Right. No, that's true. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting that for, for those places that are set up like that, where, where you could kind of put one of these in, then that's, I don't see any reason not to. Right. Yeah. It seems really cool. I'm, I'm all about that. Just um, throw a turbine. If you've got pressure, throw it on there. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so we're all on board with this. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so rare these days. Hydroelectric power is one of the best uh, energy sources we have. Yeah. The problem is the environmental impacts when you build reservoirs. But if you can get the power without building a reservoir, like, that's... Yeah. That's having your cake and eating it too. Or if you already which have is a reservoir. the silliest expression we have. Yeah. Because why would you want cake if you can't eat it? <laughs> <laughs> to look at it? Just like sit there. It's like, oh, that's so nice. Let's just yeah. look at the cake. That's the nice thing to me about tidal uh, hydroelectricity because we don't have to build yeah. or we don't have to, to make a reservoir. It's already there. It just yeah. fills and empties with water every day. Speaking of which, apparently Australia just put online one of their new tidal generator stations. Ooh. Um, 
So yeah. Do you have I don't any know. more information about it? I do. I don't. <laughs> just it was the headline okay. I saw. It I would absolutely love to learn more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well the title generation isn't new though. They've, no, it's not new. It's, I just want yeah. to hear sort of where it is and what it's powering. It's in Australia. It's powering Australia. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> All that of very Australia. helpful report. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got one more story here, uh, Mike, about Burger King. Oh, yeah. Love Burger King. So, I I don't know why this is. I honestly I don't know why this is news. I just thought it was pertinent because there's been. I've, at least what I've seen, there's been a couple apps that uh, capitalize on... This is the future on... of fast food, Mike. <laughs> no, this it, is it, the future, it which really we shall is. chat about. I don't know if you guys heard about the... Uh, there's a new app that's out where it's like it delivers a pizza. Just You press a button and you order a pizza. It's like pepperoni pizza. And you just press it and it delivers it to you. Huh, um, is it free? Well, the pizza's not. The app is. <laughs> um, so, I don't know, Burger King's starting to trial home delivery in the uk uh mcdonald's has been doing it for a long time now never in canada the uh yeah i know i don't know why this article said that oh mcdonald's hasn't gotten into the home delivery yet because i remember watching supersize me and yeah Yeah. morgan got that mcdonald's delivered so spurlock yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah i thought i heard that they were trialing it in some places mcdonald's yeah in New York, they've had home delivery for a long time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Sure. New York is a special case, I think. I don't think it's everywhere, but it's definitely a thing in some yeah. places. Yeah. And, uh, but I think it's it's definitely, you're going to start seeing a lot more places cater to, to home delivery because, and it's usually integrated through an app or some sort of online ordering process because people Absolutely. are looking to, to limit human interaction and getting out of the house. So right, right, in, right in line with what people want. Lazier and lazier. <laughs> it's true. Well, I mean, really and truly, if you're looking at it from an economic standpoint, it's probably more efficient to pay someone who is constantly moving to bring things to you than for you to go out of your way, get it, and come back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys, I don't know if you guys have it in Ottawa, but there's a service here called Just Eat. Yeah, we have yes. it. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually never used it. I've seen it around a couple times, and I'd be interested to use it because there's times where, like, you want to go out for dinner, or you you really like the pizza from Earl's or Joey's, and it's like, man, I wish I could get that here. With with that <laughs> type of service, you can because yeah, you just order from wherever, and if if they're signed up for the service, if they're signed yeah. up for it, yeah, of course. I but, actually, which, I yeah. we might have used it once, but I'm pretty sure it was only to check the menu because we were going to go there anyway. Okay. But this was this was also in Ottawa. And like most of the Just Eat, or the places associated with Just Eat, I just went to anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. Apparently they're opening a Joey up in uh, in Ottawa. Oh, nice. Ooh. You should check it so out. So fancy. Oh, I guess you used to work there, so you know what it's all about anyway. Well, although it looks very different than it did. Yeah, I'm, it... It's Very not as Denny's like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, in that case, we'll say goodbye for now. Goodbye thank you, as now. always, for joining us for future chat. Uh, I'd especially like to thank Audible.com for helping support the podcast. Don't forget to help us out by visiting audible.futurechat.me right now to get a free audiobook and to start your free 30-day trial. 
We will be back next week with more science and tech talk. And in the meantime, if you have a few minutes, please go and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, And you can find past episodes and more at futurechat.me on the web. See you guys next time. See ya. Bye for now. (laughs) Now, I should should have asked this before. Do you guys want to do an on-air after show? Do you guys have anything to talk about? Um... I actually I can tell you about like what our next unit in class is, and I think it's really cool. But I have to <laughs> I go don't know to the washroom first. Okay. Oh, well, s- stay right. tuned after the short washroom break, and uh, it's it's not going to we'll be short. About- I've I've had to go for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> One moment. So, Mike, while Nick is gone, uh, maybe we could talk a bit about Taylorette. Because sure. I didn't want to like I didn't want to front load it, but I'm fine if it's in the after show we could talk about it. Okay, so why don't you talk about it more then? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so, for people who are not familiar with Taylorette or who didn't stop the podcast a few minutes in and go and look, <laughs> um, this is a movement that I or a, again a campaign I don't want to call it a movement <laughs> that I have initiated at the beginning of this week as a Valentine's gift to my fiance Julia. Uh, she's going to, she's having her bachelorette party at, uh, the Taylor Swift concert in Ottawa in July. And, uh, she was trying to get, it's a lot, it's a lot lower pressure to explain this than having to do it in a high intensity video. Uh, she was trying to get five seats for her, for her and her bachelorette party and wasn't able to. So she's now, they're now split two and three people, a couple sections apart in, uh, Canadian Tire Center. And so I just wanted to, See if we could try to get Taylor's attention. We're trying a bunch of different things, and uh, the main thing that we're that I'm trying to do is I put out a video, uh, basically trying to explain this. And so, if we're able to get Taylor Swift's attention by any sort of means, just to see if there's anything she could do to make the bachelor party special. Uh, Julia has been a, lo- a fan of Taylor for an extremely long time. Um, I posted this video to Reddit, and me just accurately describing what I thought of their relationship. People were describing it as obsessive i just think it's fun and cute and she's a fan so people people on reddit always get the wrong idea i feel or at least some people and so uh but it got it got some traction among taylor swift fans and so i've uh, though i have some stuff to say about sort of the nature of social media uh, it's been an interesting experiment so far trying to selflessly promote something if i promote something that i did everyone's going to sort of think, oh, this guy just, he just wants attention for his thing. But this is actually like, it's a cause that's not me related. I, no matter what happens, I don't think I would get to meet Taylor Swift. So it's like, whatever, it's, it's fine. Uh, For those of you who are just joining us, Nick, we're, uh, we're talking about Taylorette. Oh, because it was trying to fill the gap. So I I didn't want you to have to hear it. (laughs) It's basically (laughs) the point. That is so sweet of you. Um, but so yesterday, uh, when, when you make, when you produce a three something minute video, you, your options are limited to where you can post it. It's pretty much Vimeo or YouTube, uh, or Facebook. Um, but when you produce, like I did yesterday, a 15 second video, you can put it on so many different platforms. And so I put the Taylor video, the follow up video, the update that I made yesterday on Facebook, I put it on YouTube, I put it on Tumblr as a, like a, as a Tumblr video, not as a YouTube video. I put it on Twitter and I put it on Instagram, which is just, I was sitting there yesterday with my, just my phone 
and was able to post a video to five different things. And I think that's kind of cool that I can do it for my phone, but I think it's kind of terrible that all of these platforms have their own video service <laughs> where, where it would be more beneficial to you to put a video on their service directly as opposed to linking to it uh, from a different service like YouTube, a central service. It sounds like so you can use one, the reverse of an aggregator there, like post this video too, and then oh yeah, click. A I bunch want boxes. a deaggregator. What do you? What would you? A distributor? Yeah, like uh, th- there are programs that do that. Uh, I think Adobe has a pretty successful one. Um, but one of the biggest things is that the, I mean, I, I love using Google Plus for distributing. It, it, you can do things like communities that will get you a much bigger audience than just posting to your network would give. Um, but the Google Plus sharing API is not public. So it takes, you have to actually know someone at Google or be connected to Google in some way officially to actually use it. And so the number of things like Hootsuite is one of them that can use the Google Plus sharing API, but a lot of places or a lot of companies can't do it. So the services that are that do it either tend to be pretty bad or they're very expensive. Um, but it was a very weird, it's a very weird experiment trying to get your thing to as many people as possible. Very mm. odd, but it's been a fun experiment and it sort of pushed me towards possibly restarting a weekly video thing just based on how it, how it went. I feel like I know a lot more than I did before I started this thing. Like it took me two months of prep work to get this video put together in its final form and uh, it was a fun experiment. So I'm looking forward to it continuing. I'm glad you're happy. And I'm very glad that Mike is helping by posting bunnies carrying signs. Or he was, at least. We're, we've kind of agreed to hold off on that for a while. <laughs> um, but it was it's a fun experiment. And I, I'm interested to know where you got that bunny holding a sign thing from. Because I'm assuming you didn't build it yourself. No. It's, it's a fairly well-known Twitter meme. No, I, I know it is, but where did you get the... Like, did you just copy it from another Googled tweet? It. Yeah, just copy-paste. Yeah. You copied it from a tweet, or did you copy it from like a web service that can generate them? Like a website that that had it. I just looked up okay. ASCII Twitter meme, and then okay. it had the bunny one there. Interesting. So I was like, that one would work. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. And pretty much between between that image and whatever at reply tags I need, it fits almost exactly 140 characters every time, so... It worked out pretty well. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Nick, now... So, yeah? Sorry, go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, Nick, you should tell us about your Oh, yeah, what's, what do you got class? going on, Nick? Oh, yeah, so my uh, my next course, the one that I just started, is uh, ultrasonics testing. So I don't know what exact frequency it uses. I assume 20,000 hertz or greater. But... Um, yeah, it seems really cool. Like, uh, we had some in-class demonstrations. You have just a little... How big is it? It's, like, not even as big as a dime. Just a little mm-hmm. part that you move over a metal surface, and it just sends a ping straight in, straight out, or other ways, if you're getting tricky with it. <laughs> but, um, no, it's really cool. Like, and there's a slight spread, so if the transducer is over like a porosity or a defect or something like that, you'll get a signal from both the defect and the rear wall, like the thing mm-hmm. that it's blocking. 
it's just yeah really cool did a cool. did a brief little survey of what a pipeline that's corroded looks like like has actual appreciable corrosion pits in them hmm. and so this you started this this past week i started it yesterday we had our okay, cool our final exam on magnetic particle examination in the morning and then started ultrasonic testing in the afternoon cool did you so, guys know that a sound is a wave i heard i heard what? that it moves through media what <laughs> at, at, at so what do speed, we Nick? At, well it at, depends at on the medium <gasps> <laughs> which apparently you have to be super retentive when you're setting up like you have to figure out exactly what the velocity is and right deal with thicknesses and things to calibrate it <laughs> properly but but after you do that world's your oyster cool and like normally the beams just go normal to the surface so straight up and down so you get a good response but like if you're trying to test a weld you can angle it at 45 degrees or i don't know some greater if you want to do it at a in a custom way and then like shoot the beam underneath the weld like the weld cap and try and catch mm-hmm. things there mm. and i don't know it's just really cool so do you guys get to look at the actual like theory and math behind all the measurements um in your class it depends some of them like if it's anything like magnetic particle the theory was it was limited like we talked a, a lot of a lot about magnetic fields qualitatively, but we didn't really quantify a lot. Mm-hmm. Like you never actually used units of Tesla for anything. You just knew that they existed as a flux density measurement. Right. But this one, I don't know where uh, it was just the first like intro to kind of lecture, but there was a lot of, Stuff like, oh, the machine figures this thing out for you. Like, it does the, I mean, V equals D over T kind of stuff, yeah. which isn't super yeah. heavy math. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah, there's I also, guess not even your, a little heavy. <laughs> for that class, it's it's intense. It's doing yeah. some, like, no, well, we're going to do some more, like, impedance stuff and things like that, which should be trickier. But mm-hmm. uh, it'll do it'll do some... Or like the UI will do peak selection and things like that, it sounds right. like. But <laughs> I don't think we're going to get into that. There's also, oh, what is it? There's a more advanced method that I can't even name yet, but it uses the frequencies around. So I'm wondering if maybe we'll talk about Fourier transform. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> Love me some Fourier transform. Fourier transform is pretty much like it's the best in itself, but the the math behind it is just the worst. I would never want to have to do it by hand is what I'm trying to say. You haven't done it by hand? (laughs) Nope. I'm never going to. (laughs) I don't know. It seems like a lot of it seems like it would be just heavily recursive. Yeah. And just why would you ever? Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's um, like one of those things I'm sure Fourier figured out and was like, and nobody will ever do this. <laughs> yeah. Unless you have like a basement full of women 
like they did for astronomy, or someone developed computers. Yeah. When I watched uh, Cosmos for the first time... I was going to say... Yeah, sorry? uh, Just on the... Like, this is sort of like the binders full of women comment from Mitt Romney. They actually did have basements full of women doing calculations. And Cosmos, when they were talking about these women and their contributions to science, I was just like, wow. It was just like they had this whole room of them just doing calculations for astronomers. Yeah. 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 Like, I wasn't meaning to be misogynistic or anything. I literally meant basements full of women. Yeah. Yeah. Because... now they're called yeah. cubicles full of interns. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or grad students, either way.